in the adult service this morning if you'll turn to the book of Genesis. Yes, all, all homeschoolers in this building. Okay, and Genesis 1, 26. Praise the Lord for His goodness and mercy and grace. We started this series, and this is the first time I've ever tried to do this type of teaching on a Sunday morning. We normally take books in the Bible and teach through the books of the Bible, verse by verse, and you know, teach and preach them to you. But we felt led of the Lord uh, to begin to teach you a series on theology, which is kind of challenging. Uh, if you're not in a classroom setting, it's a little bit challenging to try to do that in a church service. But we've learned a lot about the Word of God, and that's what it's all about. It's all about learning about the Word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, you know, if you have knowledge, then you will have inspiration. Information of the Word of God brings inspiration. A lot of times, preachers stand up and they'll preach and they'll tell stories, but you never learn anything about the Bible. So if you have information about the Word of God, you will be inspired. So our whole ministry has to do with preaching and teaching the Word of God. In fact, I personally don't believe I have anything to say to the church except what comes out of this Bible. And so we are going, we're obeying God, and we're going through this process of teaching you uh, theology, things about the Lord. This morning we are teaching you on the doctrine of man. You would not believe how challenging that is. So I'll ask you to pray for me as I seek to do this by the grace of the Lord, the doctrine of man. So Genesis chapter 1, please turn there, Genesis 1 and 26. The scripture says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing, that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. Lord, we come before you. We ask God your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We thank you for your anointing today, God. And we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Okay, the study of the doctrine of man or anthropology. Anthropology, Greek word uh, anthropos equals man and logos equals word. So when you study the doctrine of anthropology, you're talking about the word concerning man. Okay? The first thing we want to talk about is where did man come from? And then where is he going? Where he came from and where he's going. You know, if you don't know where you started the trip, and if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up anywhere. So it's important to know where you started from, where you came from originally, and then where you're headed. And so there's different views as to where man came from, how we got here. The first view I'll tell you about is called evolutionist, the, uh, evolutionist or atheistic evolution. Say with me, atheistic evolution. Now, atheistic evolution, already we know what atheist is because we talked about what atheist is. 
somebody that does not believe that God is, doesn't believe that God exists, correct? That's an atheist. A lot of people are surprised, though, to hear that you can be an atheist and still believe that God exists. But if you don't live according to the Word of God, if you do not follow God and live for Him according to the Scripture, then in a sense, you are an atheist. Because if you really did believe that God exists, then you would surrender your life to Him. So when you talk about atheistic theology or atheistic evolution, you're talking about a teaching or a theory concerning where man came from. And that teaching simply is this, is that there is no God at all involved at all in bringing about man's existence. Atheistic, no God at all. And then we have evolution, is that teaching that believes that man just came into existence, right? Now that, do y'all believe in that? All right, so if you, have, if you believe in atheistic evolution, you believe that you evolved from primitive forms of life. And that is simply this, that in the beginning there was cell matter, and this cell matter moved from cell matter to life form, and then from life form to fish, birds, animals, to apes, and then finally man. Okay? Now, it is only a theory because there is no fact. Okay? Do you understand what we're talking about here? We start with a cell matter, then life form, and birds, and fish, and animals, and apes, and then man. So we're talking about a process where primitive life began to develop into higher forms. But it started to an evolutionary process beginning with cell matter. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay. So this process from cell matter from one stage to another stage to another stage to another stage until man finally comes on the scene after this progressive evolutionary process and God was not involved in the making of man at all. Okay? The problem with that is it is not fact. Because there's absolutely no stages, no proof of stages between cell matter, life form, you with me? Birds, with me? Fish, animals, apes, then man. So where is the transitional forms between these stages? It's called the missing link. There is absolutely no proof that we have this evolutionary process where man finally evolved and came into existence coming from a primordial soup of some kind of cell matter. So the missing link has never been found because there's no such thing as evolution. Now, atheistic evolution teaches that God, there is no God at all, and that we came from this primordial soup, and we eventually, you know, through this process of stages, here came man. But there is no fact, there's no transitional stages between the ones we talked about. And that's called atheistic evolution. So it fails because it does not believe that God was the originator of matter. Now, if you say that we started out as primordial soup, you know, cell matter, then life, so on and so forth, then who was the one that created the cell matter? Where, where did that matter begin? Where did it come from? 
they start with the primordial soup of cell matter. But where did the cell matter come from? So it fails completely, number one, because it does not acknowledge that God is the one that created matter. Completely failure in that teaching. Then you have the next one called theistic evolution. Theistic evolution teaches that God created the primary or the, the, the beginning parts, like he created matter, so on and so forth. But he used evolution to bring about man. So God started it all out, theistic evolution, but man evolved through a procession of stages. That is also incorrect. Really? Why is that incorrect? Why is it wrong to say that God started matter and then man evolved eventually from matter? You know, we go from the stages again, matter, to life forms, to birds, to fish, to animals, to apes, and then we have man. Why is it wrong to say that God just started with the matter and then used the evolutionary process? Because the Bible tells us that it's not true. The Bible tells us, if we go to Genesis once again, when God made the animals and the birds and the fish, etc., so on and so forth, the scripture says in verse 20, just for example, God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the opening firmament of heaven. And God created great wells and every living creature that moveth, which the water brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every wind fell after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Notice the phrase, after their kind. So God didn't use that evolutionary process. It was after their kind. The point being is a rat can only produce a rat. A horse can only produce a horse. A dog can only produce a dog. A cat can only produce a cat. Have y'all ever seen a cat produce a dog? Ever seen a dog produce a cat? Ever seen a rat produce a human? Well, we won't get into that one. I'm just glad I've been regenerated. I mean, regenerated, right? Whatever your word is. I may have been a rat in the past, but I've been regenerated. But anyway, the point is that that is not a true doctrine because God didn't use the evolutionary process. He didn't start it all out. He said, okay, now we're going to go from this matter, you know, to life forms, you know, fish, birds, animals, apes, and then man. It's after their kind. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we know what the Bible says. So we do not believe in theistic evolution. Theistic creation is what we believe in. And that's scriptural. That God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the angels. He created the animals. He created the birds. He created man. And it was after their kind. One kind doesn't produce another kind. Okay? So we do not believe in atheistic evolution. We do not believe in theistic evolution but we do believe in theistic creation. So where did man come from? God created us, right? 
a distinct creation of God. You've been involved from a monkey. I'm really thankful. If you did, then your tail drop off. Right? We won't get into that one either, really. So how many of y'all believe that God created everything? Now, I want to say this to you, that what I just shared with you in just about five minutes is so important to me. There are teachings by creation scientists, Dr. Carl Ball, I met him in Brynrose, and I went to his museum, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit, and it is amazing, remember, teaching on creationism, that's what they focus on, is just teaching that God created everything, his whole museum, his whole ministry is about creation, praise God, and so it would take hours and hours and hours to teach you just on creation. When we went through the book of Genesis, we did some of that. But uh, there are ministries that are set up just to teach the creation that God creates the heavens and that God created man and so on and so forth that God did not use evolution. So what we just shared with you in five minutes is really loaded. Okay? So where did man come from? God created us. Well, what is man? Let's go to Psalm 8. That question is asked in Psalm 8, in verse five, uh, 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. Okay, so we know where man came from, but what is man? Well, number one, man is a created being. Say created being. Go to Psalm 91, please. He is a created being. Okay? In the book of Genesis, in chapter 1, two terms we need to talk about. Number one, creation, or created. And the second term is make or made. Now, God created man. That means, literally, when you talk about creation, you're talking about God making something out of nothing. To create means there was no previous material. Okay? So God created something without any previous material. That's what the word create means. If you will, something out of nothing or no previous material. Now the word made or make is also used in Genesis. That means there was already pre-existing material that God took and formed it like a, a potter takes clay and molds it and makes it into, you know, a vase of some kind. So create means no previous material, and then uh, to make means there's material that he takes and he forms like a potter with clay. Now, the one thing about creation, though, I want to point out to you in Psalm 91, it's a little bit, it's not completely accurate to say that creation means God made something out of nothing. Okay, because when God made everything, it was already in Him. All right, so we've heard heard that before. That creation is bringing something out of nothing. It means uh, to create without any, any previous material. You understand what make is? That the material is there. 
But when you say create, when you say God made something out of nothing, that's really technically not totally correct. Because God is. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him will I trust. Sorry, go back to Psalm 90. Lord, Thou hast been, look at this, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever Thou hadst formed the earth, and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So the psalmist said the Lord was our dwelling places even before the mountains were brought forth forever thou hast formed the earth. So we were in God. We're not God, but we were in Him. So to say that creation was to bring something out of nothing, there was no previous material, is not totally correctly, technically correct, because God is God. And we came out of God. He created us, okay? Say praise the Lord. But just for the sake of understanding, basically in theology, creation, there's no previous material. And in making, the word make means there was previous material that was used by God. Both of those things are used in Genesis. So we are created beings. Now, number two, we are dependent beings. Acts 17, 23-31 we are dependent beings. The Bible tells us that in God, in Him, we live and move and have our being. In God, we live and move and have our being or our very existence. So that means this, that we are dependent upon the Lord because God made us. We're not self-existent. God is self-existent, but we're not self-existent. He's the one that made us. In Him we live and move and have our being. And so because He made us, we are dependent on Him. Okay, so I'm not self-existent. I'm dependent on Him. The fact that He made you makes you dependent. Praise the Lord. Now, if you were self-existent, you would not be dependable or dependent on God. But because He made you, you are dependent on God. You're not self-existent. Number three, you are an intelligent being. A man is an intelligent being. That means he has imagination, he has reason, he expresses thought in language. Okay, intelligent being. Now, animals are not intelligent beings. They don't have the ability to have imagination, reason, or express thoughts and language. Animals live by instinct and habit. Instinct and habit. Okay, there's a little difference between man and animal. How many intelligent beings do we have out there? Praise the Lord. Amen. How many of you ever seen an animal building a table? How many of y'all hurt, hurt, hurt your dog? How many of you think you, you know, you talk to your dog and you think your dog talks back to you? You know, so you go out there and you start singing to them and they start howling because their ears hurt. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that they understand what you're saying or singing. 
because they can't talk to us, although we think they do. And uh, but they're hearing a conversation. They're not going to draw plans and build a table. They don't have that creative ability in them. They don't have that intelligent ability in them. In fact, dogs and animals don't even know who they are. Okay? You put a mirror in front of a dog, and it'll bark and bark and bark at that mirror and never even know it's looking at itself. It doesn't have the ability to to have the intelligence to even know that it's looking at itself in the mirror, right? But when Adam was created, he looked in the pool of water. He said, it's an eye. He said, I can see. He knew when he looked in that water that he was looking at himself. He saw an eye there, an ego, a human being. But when the animal walks up and looks at the water and thinks the drink, it don't even know that it's looking at itself. That's why I said earlier, because the dog, it'll bark and bark and bark and bark. Thanks it's another dog is barking. Because it doesn't have the same intelligence that we do. Praise God. Amen? So you're an intelligent being. You're a higher level than an animal. Didn't come from an animal. You're a higher level than that. You are a moral being. Say moral being. That means that God created you with a free will. He gave you and I the ability to choose. And if you have the ability to choose, then you are a moral being. You have the ability to choose. That means you have a will. You are not will-less. You have a will. You make choices. And so God made you a moral being, and then you become responsible for the choices that you make. An animal doesn't have a will. They don't make choices. Therefore, they're not responsible or accountable to God. But because he made you a moral being and gave you the ability to choose and exercise your will, then you become accountable to God and responsible to God for those choices and those decisions as a moral being. Okay? Dogs and our animals are not accountable to God. They're not responsible for their actions because they're not moral beings. All right? Praise the Lord. Uh, and being a moral being, you have a conscience. Now, when did you receive your conscience? Remember the old Bible study that we teach, the search for truth? We go through those dispensations. We teach people the dispensations, right? And one of the dispensations is conscience. Well, when did you receive your conscience? Remember, God created man, put him in the Garden of Eden, you know? And he knew that the, the dispensation of what? Innocence. When man was created, he was innocent, placed in the garden, not holy, but innocent. Okay? And then after he fell, what was the next dispensation? Conscience, right? Well, is that when man received conscience after the fall? No. Man, when God created man, he created man as a moral being, and when he created man, man had a conscience when he was created. Now, what is conscience? Conscience is the ability to know right from wrong. Conscience inside of you, inside of me, the ability to know right from wrong, and it's based on a given law, based on the Word of God. It's the knowing of self. 
but knowing myself in relationship to a law, what is right and what is wrong, what is wrong. Now, so man received a conscience at the moment he was created, but conscience did not work or begin to work until after the fall. That, but that doesn't mean he received conscience at that time. He already had conscience before that when he was created, but when he fell into sin, now conscience begins to work. Okay, the ability to know right from wrong inside of man. Now, conscience can be corrupted. Conscience can be seared. It, and conscience is developed the moment you're born. Conscience begins to be developed as you work with the child, as it grows up. Conscience begins to be either a good conscience or a bad conscience. It's developed over time in an atmosphere, in an environment. Okay? So conscience is not the best determining factor as to what is right and what is wrong. But it is still in you, the ability to discern what's right and wrong. But the standard that is used to determine what is right and wrong for the conscience is the Word of God. It is the only true standard that puts your conscience in a line. So if you're not careful, you'll get this idea, well, as long as I just go by my conscience, what's right and what's wrong, you may be off. Because if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, even though you feel like it's okay, doesn't make it okay. The Word of God is the only thing, the only true thing that sets the standard for your conscience and aligns your conscience. The only thing. So as a moral being, then you have the ability to choose, you have the ability to exercise your will, you have a conscience, the ability to know right from wrong, and you see yourself in relationship to a law of God. But the standard for your conscience is the Word of God, not what you feel or what you think. It's the Word of the Lord. Okay? So that's a part of being a moral, moral being. Now, something about the conscience. Uh, let me back up just a little bit. When did it start working? Okay, man was created in innocence. Correct? That means they were ignorant of evil. Conscience began to work uh, after the fall. And that's when man's thoughts began to accuse or excuse him, as the Word says, the Word of God says. Now, the conscience is indestructible. It will never be destroyed. Okay? It is the worm that dieth not, that Mark, and Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 9, the prophet Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 66. It is the worm that dieth not. So the conscience is indestructible and will never be destroyed. If a person dies and goes to hell, that worm, that conscience, will constantly prick them throughout eternity. That is the worm. It's going to constantly be talking to them about the right and the wrong that they did in, on, on the earth while they were alive. And that's that worm that never dies. Okay? Uh, man is a being of love or a love being. Reason, the reason God created man was that God is love, 
and God wants love reciprocated back to him. Okay? So he made us, first of all, God who is love created us so that we could love him. He wants that love reciprocated so he wants it given back. He wanted a relationship. He wanted fellowship. If he is what? Love? He wanted an object to love. So he created man so he have, would have an object to love. And then in current return we love him. We reciprocate that love. Now, we say oftentimes, well, we love God. Really, all you can do is love Him back. Because God first loved us. So God loves us, and what we do is we love Him back. But because He is, God is love, He created man, the reason, so that He would have an object to love, and that that love would be returned back to Him. So we are a being of love. What is man? being of love. Okay, that's the reason God created us. And I'll give you scripture, 1 John 4, 16 through 19. Okay, so we're created by love, for love. We reciprocate love. Amen. And if we don't, then we are very empty people. Alright. Man, in his essential makeup, is a trichotomy. Now, these are big words, but, you know, I'm teaching you a little class here, and it's like, uh, you need to learn some things. Man is trichotomy, or, or trichotomous. Now, there's two theories about man. Is he dichotomous, a dichotomy, or is he trichotomous, a trichotomy? Are we made up of three parts, or are we made up of two parts? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. book in my library uh, called uh, Death and the Afterlife and the author of that book is Dr. Robert Moray and he is a huge opponent against oneness theology Dr. Robert Moray but if you ever read anything about by Dr. Robert Moray he is not a one God believer he's a Trinitarian he has been involved in debates with oneness theologians. Okay, but anyway, having said that, Dr. Robert Moray wrote this book, uh, Death and the Afterlife, and he, he believes in the dichotomy of man. I remember a long time ago, before I started pastoring, I asked my pastor, we were on a bus going on a retreat somewhere, and I asked my pastor, I said, are we dichotomy or are we trichotomy? Are we two parts or are we three parts? And my pastor said to me at that time that we are trichotomy, three parts. Well, I was reading Dr. Robert Moray, you know, and I'm a young believer. You know how it is when you're a young believer, you think you know so much. And so my pastor said, well, we're trichotomy, we're made up of three parts. Well, here I am, I just read this book. So I started sitting and started discussing with my pastor, we not debating, no way. But I started discussing it with him. I said, well, this, this, and that. I said, sometimes the spirit and the soul are interchangeable, and it sounds like they're one and the same. And he said, well, all I can give you is what the Bible says. I said, all right, well, let's do that. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
And I'll explain that interchanging of the soul and the spirit in the scripture in just a moment. Why it appears that man is two parts and not three. But before we do that, what does the Bible say about man? What does it I'll make that? Put that on the five. Twenty-three. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So the Bible here is very clear that we are made up of three parts. Body, physical, soul, and spirit, the invisible part of man. Okay? So by the word of God, then we find out that we're made up of three parts, not two parts. Now, if you believe in dichotomy of man, you believe that man has a body and that the soul and the spirit are one and the same, that they're not different, okay? But the Word of God says we're made up of body, or spirit, soul, and body, excuse me. Notice how the word is. It doesn't say body, soul, and spirit. It says spirit, soul, and body. See that? Okay. So man is trichotomy, not dichotomy. And in the Word of God, for the believer, it's spirit, soul, then body. If you're not a believer, it's always body, soul, and then the spirit. But as a believer, the spirit is always master over the soul and the body. So notice how Paul writes, it says spirit, soul, and body. He doesn't say body, soul, and spirit. With me? So based on the word of God, then man is trichotomy. Now in the Hebrew, first of all, it talks about the spirit of man. The spirit of man in the Hebrew is ruach, ruach, like the wind. So when God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, when you are a little baby in the womb, and we'll get into this in just a moment, your body and your soul come from your parents. God is in cooperation with your parents. You get your body and your soul from your parents. And then God places your spirit. Uh, he makes your spirit or adds spirit, the body, and the soul. And we'll get into that in just a moment. I'll explain to you uh, what that means. But Ruach in the Hebrew, that spirit is the wind. You and I are spirit beings. We have a physical body, but we are spiritual beings. That means the spirit that God put within us is inside of this body. It's the ruach, the wind, like the wind, okay? And then the Hebrew word for soul is nephes, nephes. And then the Hebrew word for body is betem, or, um, and then the second word also uses deshem. So we have here the, in the Hebrew, ruha, spirit, we have nefesh, soul, and we have deshem, body, tripod, not three. When you come to the New Testament, the Greek words that are translated spirit, soul, and body, Greek word for spirit is pneuma. The Greek word for soul is suke. 
and the Greek word for body is soma. The feet fulfill three parts. Not the same word for soul and spirit. Soul is what? Suke. Spirit is pneuma. Body is soma. So even in the Greek, we have three separate parts of man. Hebrew, ruach, nefesh, geshem. Greek, spirit, pneuma, soul, suke, and body, soma. So if we go by the word of God, then man is not dichotomy of two parts. He's made up of three parts. Body, soul, and spirit, spiritual body, if you're a believer. So praise the Lord. Now, the spirit, let's go to Zechariah chapter 12. Okay, 12.1, Zechariah 12.1. What is the purpose of the spirit? Well, first of all, uh, Zechariah 12, 1, the burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretched forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Okay, so it is God that forms the spirit of man within him. And we'll talk about the soul and the body in, in a moment. We're going to learn something, okay? What is the purpose of the spirit that God breathed into our nostrils? Okay. What is the purpose of the Spirit? Is that we may be God-aware or God-conscious. Your Spirit, the Spirit that God placed within man, is what communicates with God. It's what uh, the part of us that knows God. It's the part of us that makes us aware of God. So that's the purpose of the Spirit is God awareness or God consciousness. Now, because we have a spirit in us, we are capable of knowing God and we're able to worship God. And that spirit in us is eternal. It is eternal. Okay? The Bible says in John 4.24, they that worship God must worship Him in what? Spirit and in truth. So this is the way we know God, communicate with God, and worship God is our spirit, and that spirit is eternal. God awareness or God consciousness. Um, in the spirit we find, Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit is called the candle of the Lord. The candle of the Lord. And in the spirit of man, that's where you find intuition. That's where you find conscience. That's where you find communion and fellowship with God. Say with me, in the spirit of man, you have intuition, conscience, and communion. Okay? So the spirit's like the wind. It's the invisible part of man that God made and put inside of us. And in that conscience, we have intuition, we have conscience, and we with the Lord. The soul is self-conscious. 
the soul within us is literally the go-between. Okay? But your soul is made up of what? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the soul. The soul then makes, makes you aware of self. In fact, conscience means knowing oneself. So, we have then the soul that makes us self-conscious. We know oneself, and we not only have a conscience or have a soul, but we are a living soul. First Corinthians 15, 45 to 37. Now, the soul then, the mind, the will, and the emotions of man that makes us self-aware is central in your being. It is central in your being. That means that it is a mediator or go-between between your body and your spirit. So that your soul, your mind, your will, your will and your emotions influence your spirit and your body. Because your soul is the central part of your being. Okay? Let's understand that. Um, let's talk about the soul just for a moment. The soul, there's different views on the soul. Number one is that the soul pre-existed. Let me say it again. The soul pre-existed your birth. Okay? It's called the pre-existence of the soul. Does the Bible teach the pre-existence of the soul? We'll talk about it in just a moment. That's one view that your soul pre-existed. Okay? Your uh, conception. Let me put it that way. It, excuse me, your conception, and then when your body was made, the soul that pre-existed entered into your body. Okay, pre-existence of the soul. The next one is that the soul was created. Okay, the creation of the soul, the body from the parents. And God creates the soul at the conception. Is that correct? Okay, so the view, this, this viewpoint then is that the body is, is, we get the body from the parents, but then after that body is made, then God creates a soul. Amen? And puts that soul in the body. Now, this is so important for you to hear. If that were the case then, God, every time a baby's born, God is making or creating a new soul. Now think about that. Is that possible? That God is creating a new soul every time a baby's born, there's a brand new created soul in that baby. Well, that's what this teaching believes, that the soul is created and then entered into the body once the body's made. So that God is actively involved in creating a brand new soul for every baby. Okay? Well, the third one is more accurate. And the third view is, in theology, is called traducianism, and that is spelled T-R-A-D-U. T-R-A-D-U. C-I-A-N-I-S. Yes. And that simply means that the human race was created in Adam. 
as the soul and body. The, the natural process of reproduction that God uses when a man and woman comes together, again, is that uh, the soul and the body are the process of natural reproduction. And that's most consistent with the Word of God. Let me explain to you why. Because you get your body from your parents, but you also get your soul from your parents. Now think about that. Why do children act like mom and dad? Why do children have a sin nature? See, if God made a, a created a brand new soul for every baby, say the body came from the parents, and God made a new soul, then he, that child would not have the characteristics of its parent, nor would it have the fallen nature. Because God would have made a brand new one every time. But this teaching, which is more consistent with the Word of God, is that the body and the soul comes from the parents. God is in cooperation, or the parents are in cooperation with God. So that when that child is born, that's why it ha acts like mom and dad. And that's why it has the ability to have a sin nature. Because God, you with me? When God originally made man, he created man. He made man out of the dust of the ground, previous material, as to his body. As to his soul, the Bible says in the beginning uh, that God created man in his image. But what did he say? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That is a plural word when it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. I believe that's Genesis 2.7. When it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that's a plural word. That means God gave him soul life and spiritual life. So the original creation of God, he made man from the dust of the ground, previous material, but as to his soul and spirit, he created man as to his soul and spirit. The first man, Adam. But after that, then the human race that was in Adam, when they're born, God uses the natural reproduction process of a man and woman. The soul and the body come from the mother and the father. And it's God that breathes into the nostrils of that baby the breath of life or the ruach, the spirit. Now, remember when we went through the book of Job, we're in the book of Job right now, in the, in the 10th chapter, God literally goes through in the book of Job in the 10th chapter and gives you the process by which you and I were made. And he tells us, basically, that we, we started out in liquid form, and then from there, we moved over into more of a cheese-like. That's what the Hebrew literally means, a cheese-like substance. And then, you know, we have... Uh, bones and sinew and nerves until finally you have a body formed with me and then the Bible says after the material part of man is made then God breathed into that body the spirit so we went through that in the book of Job we went through that process and looked at the words and what they mean so you got to be there on Wednesday night you know to get that teaching 
I'm not going to redo that today. But that's the process. The body, the material part of man is first made in the womb, and then after that's made, then God places the spirit that he creates into that body. And that spirit comes out of him. He breathes that spirit out of himself into that body that also has a soul. The body and the soul came from mom and dad. The spirit is made by God in man after Adam. But the original man, his body was made and his soul and spirit were created. But now after that, everybody that's born gets the body and the soul from their mom and their dad and God places the spirit into that. Therefore, when you're born, you have the characteristics of your dad and your mom, you act like them, and you have a sin nature. You understand that? Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but I, when I was studying for my church, it was for that. I'm glad I understand that now. Because I didn't know, you know, I, I knew we received our body from our mom and you know, dad and all of his genes and stuff, but I didn't know that the soul was also something that came from mom and dad, but it makes sense. Why does the child act like mom and dad? How could the child have a sin nature if God made a, made a brand new soul every time? Okay, they praise the Lord. So that's more consistent uh, with the scriptures, that the body and the soul comes from the parents. God uses that natural reproduction process, and then he places the spirit within man, breathes into his nostrils. The breath of life. Okay? I'm not saying you have to believe me. I'm just asking you to do it. Brother Dyson said, don't ask him too much. I ask you to believe what I'm saying. Just hear what I'm saying. If you don't believe me, go study it. Find it out for yourself. Okay? Now, so therefore, I do not believe in the pre existence of the soul. And I do not believe in the creation of the soul and then it enters into the creation of the soul by God and then it enters into the body. I believe that the body and the soul come from the parents and then the spirit. God breathes the spirit out of them. Now, in that sense, you may teach the pre-existence of the spirit. You're not supposed to. Because the spirit was in God. All right? God gives the Spirit, Zechariah 12 and verse 1, the breath of life and also the image of God. Now, how is that word soul used in Scripture? Remember, we're talking about that self-awareness, correct? How is it used in the Scripture? Number one, it is used, Exodus 12, 5, Genesis 2, 7. Go over to Genesis 2, 7 with me. Look at that verse real fast. This one, I'm going to try to read my theologian out of it. Okay, Genesis 2 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the spirit. And man became a living soul. Okay? Now, a living soul, what does that mean? He became a living soul. It just simply means he became a living person. 
because in the Bible, when, when the Bible talks about the souls of men, it's talking about the person as a whole. So if he became a living soul, he became a living person, right? And it gives you the number of how many people went down to Egypt in the Word of God, 70 to 75, depending on what area you're reading, you know? No contradiction. But it talks about the souls of men. Here they're talking about the person. So in the scripture, the uh, soul is used as synonymous with person. Now, sometimes spirit and soul are used interchangeably. Now, this can really get interesting. Because the soul and the spirit are used interchangeably in the scripture, that's where you come up with the teaching of dichotomy. That man is, is a his body, but his soul and spirit are the same. Because some things that are said about the soul are said about the spirit, and some things that are said about the spirit are also said about the soul. And as a result of that, certain people teach the spirit and the soul are the same. Okay. But what does the Bible say? Man is made up of three parts: body, soul, and spirit. So let's try to explain this if we can. But the interchangeably interchangeability of you know, terms for the spirit and the soul. Uh, again, this is the reason why some teach a dichotomy of man or two parts of man. First Kings 17, when you have time, 17 through 23, you know, when the prophet raised the doubt, the Bible says that the soul came back to the child when Elijah raised the child. The soul came back to the child. But in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus raised the child from the dead, in Luke 8, 49 through 56, the Bible says the spirit came back to the child. So, again, we have an interchangeable thing going on here that what is said of the soul is said of the spirit, and what's said of the spirit is said of the soul. And again, that's why some think that they're one and the same. Well, what's going on here? They're used interchangeably. Let me, let me see if I can explain it to you. The soul and the spirit are distinguishable. Okay? We explain to you body, soul, spirit. Correct? So they're distinguishable. They're different. Correct? They're different. But they're indivisible. They're indivisible. That's why some things that are said of the spirit are also said of the soul, and some things that are said of the soul are also said of the spirit. Doesn't mean they're the same thing. Okay? There can be a distinction made, but you can't divide the soul and the spirit. Now, the Word of God can, but that's different. I'm not going to get into that. Hebrews 4 talks about that the Word of God has the ability to revive the soul from the spirit. But I'm talking about in your being. Okay? So let me see if I can explain this interchangeable, interchangeable terms where the spirit and the soul are said, you know, to have the similar uh, references. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So in 1 Kings 17, it says the child, soul came Again, Luke 8 says the spirit came again. The child's soul could not come again 
without the spirit, nor the spirit without the soul. So there is a difference between the soul and the spirit if you can't divide them. That's why in one place it says the soul returns to the, to the child, and another place it says the spirit returns to the soul, because you cannot divide the soul and the spirit. To have the soul, you have to have the spirit, and the spirit, you have to have the soul. Correct? But there is a distinction, there's a difference in function. Okay? Hebrews 12 23, it talks about in heaven, once we a believer who's has died, so you get it. When a believer dies, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that in that heavenly Jerusalem there is present the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirits of just men made perfect. But in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9 to 11, the Bible says the souls were in the altar. Okay? So is the spirits of the saved believer in heaven and not the soul? Or is the soul of the believer in heaven and not the spirit? You can't separate the two. Now you, you cannot divide them, but again, they're different. Okay, praise the Lord. So the spirits in heaven are souls, <laughs> and the souls are redeemed spirits. So, you know, man is still three parts, but anyway, that explains that interchangeable term that takes place in the Word of God. Now, that right there is what I needed. When I asked my pastor, is man dichotomy of two parts or is he three parts? That's what I needed to understand. Is that they're three parts and there's a distinction between the soul and the spirit, but they can't be divided. And that's why these terms are used If he'd have told me that you know, 30 years ago, praise the Lord, I'd have, been, I'd have been ahead 30 years ahead. So, I mean, he was right. Praise God. He was right. I just didn't know why he was right. Pastor Bowie was right. But, um, in the scripture, the soul is referred to as mind, will, emotion. Uh, this is interesting. I'm going to ask you a question before I give you the answer. The Bible says God is a spirit. But does he have a soul? I'm not talking about when he became a man. God came in flesh. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about before God became a man, does God have a soul? Well, God is spirit. Does he have mind, will, and emotion? Yes. Okay. Interesting. Look in Leviticus 26. Am I boring that? What? I'm enjoying this. Just to indulge me. Leviticus 26, verse 11. Leviticus 26, 11, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. 
and I will walk among you and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. So there is a Bible study for God. In Isaiah 1.14, the prophet said it this way. Uh, I remember when I first met my pastor years and years ago. I went to his house and taught me Bible study. And when he got through teaching me Bible study, I looked at him. And I've been had been through catechism and everything else, but by the way, the latest thing you know. And I had gone through catechism and I got confirmed and all of that. And uh, I didn't, didn't learn some good things from the Lutheran church and fundamental foundational things. It wasn't all bad. But I remember sitting down with him in about short period of time, an hour, hour and a half, maybe three hours, I don't know exactly the time frame. When he got to teach me that Bible study, I learned more in that time than I learned all my life. The Word of God. And that's what we need to use the Word of God. The reading and understanding of the Bible. In Isaiah 1, the Bible tells us in verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated Hated. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. So God is a spirit, but he is weary. His soul, the scripture says, hated it. And they are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. So that's the concept of the emotion. The emotion of God. So God Okay, so, praise the Lord. So in the scripture then, we have the mind, the will, and the emotion. God, the spirit, has spoken of as having a soul. We grieve over man, so on and so forth. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 2, 27 through 31. Acts 2, 27 through 31. Isaiah 3, 11 and 12. As a man, okay, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, was a perfect and complete man, spirit, soul, and body. Okay? So Jesus, as a man, had a body, a spirit, and a soul. Human soul. Okay? Human spirit. And human body. But God, the spirit of God, dwelt in him. He had a dual nature, 100% God and 100% man at the same time, not half God and half man. 100% man, body, soul, spirit, and 100% God, spirit of God. Okay? He just added to himself another nature that was humanity. But that was a complete humanity. It wasn't like he had a body and the spirit of God was in that body without a soul. You understand? man, body, soul, and spirit, completely God. Okay? Alright. Man has a soul and is a living soul as well. Man is a spirit being, yet he has a soul uh, with mind, will, emotion. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Hebrews 4, 12 tells us to go there Word of God then divides the body as a soul and spirit.
Lord's prayer. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, or literally a critic, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay? So that people that we have a body, soul, Now, animals have a soul, Hebrew nephesh. They have a life force, or a life principle called the, the soul. Uh, Genesis 1, 21 and 24. You understand? The soul life of man is manifested in the mind, the will, emotions, and bodily instincts. The human soul is now, say with me, the human soul is now sinful. Why? That's where that fallen nature is. It's in your soul. Do you get that? That's why we believe that the body and the soul come from the hands. The spirit really, you know, came from God. Because in the soul, that's where the sin nature is. Okay? Once God created a brand new soul, there's not going to be anything that sin nature in here. You wouldn't have the characteristics of so then what we have is, is that with the mind, the will, the emotions, and also the bodily instincts, the human soul is now sinful. Here's the difference. The animal soul is not sinful. Okay? Animals do not have a spirit. They are not able to know and communicate with God. Because remember, the spirit's what gives you the ability to be aware of God and communicate with God. Animals don't know God. Not okay? Because they don't have a spirit. They don't have a conscience. Right? Remember I told y'all that dog, that dog went up here and killed that squirrel in my backyard? And I'm looking at that dog and I say, why did you do that? Why did you kill that poor little squirrel? And the dog's looking at me and he's talking to no conscience. I'm asking the dog why, the dog looking at me like I'm crazy. The dog doesn't have no conscience, right? They just operate out of instinct and habit. So they don't have a conscience, they don't have a spirit, they don't communicate with God or know God, they're never able to sin and thus be accountable to God. So there's, there's no sin in their life force. No sin is in their life. Well, I know the whole thing is hell, but I'm talking about their soul. They don't have a sin nature in their, in their soul. Okay. They're not in the image and likeness of God. They can't be born again. They can't walk with God and love God and worship Him intelligently. And they are not immortal. Okay? What happens to them? The Bible tells us very clearly in the book of Ecclesiastes. When the, when the animal dies, their soul goes in ground. It's over. You know? It doesn't ascend up into heaven waiting for you to get there. It's, I hate to tell you, but the dog and the cat is not going to be in heaven waiting for you when you get there. Okay? Or your pig, or your whatever, whatever you like. You know, it's just a little pot belly. I'm going to have a pot belly pig. 
and you got worse than that. But when they die, I know you love them, and I love them too. And because it brings so much to it, but they don't live forever. They're not going to be in heaven. We don't see it good. And we all went to heaven. We want to go to heaven, son. So we see, you know, let us do this. Whatever his name is, when we get there. They're not theologically correct, okay? And then they get to heaven, they're going to come and say, Mom, you come with this, you're going to be here in my house, see this, I'm really upset. They're going to be upset with you. Okay. Then the Word of God, the soul is associated with and, and, uh, other parts of the body. Okay, we've already talked about man's being, spirit, God awareness, soul, self-awareness. Body gives you awareness of the world around you through the five senses. Okay? But the Word of God talks about uh, the spirit and the soul. These are the eternal, invisible parts of man. Isaiah 57, 15 through 16. It talks about the spirit and the body. The spirit gives you God awareness, and the body sense consciousness. Daniel 7, 16, 1 Corinthians 14, 14. The Word of God talks about the body and the soul. Body sin consciousness and the soul self consciousness. And then the body talks about the soul and blood. Okay? Now, Leviticus 3 17, Leviticus 17 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And it's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So your soul, your life force, is in the blood. Okay? Praise God. Isaiah 53, 10 through 12. So blood, the blood is the source and holder of physical life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Okay? You with me? Okay, now. Uh, as a result of the fall of man, sin, blood has been corrupted. Our blood is corrupted. Now, but blood has value. Your life has value to God. And because in the blood, that's the source, that's where the soul is. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, the blood is the source and holder of physical life. Heavy stuff. Your blood has value to God. More value than animal blood. Animal's blood gets shed. It has some value, but it doesn't have the value of a human being. Okay? God puts value on the martyr's blood. Matthew 23, 35. Revelation 6, 9, and 10. Genesis 4, 10. Hebrews 12, 24. 12, 24, 12. Okay? But the most value was put on the infinite blood of Jesus. It has infinite value. There is no more, no higher value than the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay? I say praise the Lord. Uh, anyway, soul life, which is in the blood, is conveyed by the blood, gives consciousness, here's the answer, praise God, gives consciousness. In death, the blood perishes, but the soul continues to exist. Okay? Uh, faculties of the soul. Soul 
the righteous in heart. Mind and strength. Man's factors. Mark 12, 30, Deuteronomy 6, 11. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, etc. Talking about your soul. Everything that's in your soul. Okay? Talk about the human soul a little more. The mind, the thoughts, the imagination, the understanding, the memory, the reason, the intellect. Okay? Sometimes called the heart. We're not talking about the thing that pumps blood. We're talking about the soul. The Bible calls it the heart. The mind. Thoughts, the imagination, the understanding, the memory, the reason, the intellect. Will has to do with the ability to choose and to make decisions. Heart is also connected to the will. Psalm 9 and 11. Okay? And then emotions, feelings. Feelings, good or bad, the results of good or bad behavior or good or bad attitudes. Get that? Mind, really, knowing emotions. That's connected to the heart as well. Uh, again, that's good or bad feelings. And that's a result of good or bad behavior. Or good or bad attitudes. Isaiah 65, 14. Joy. Exaltation. Acts 2, 46. Pain. Proverbs 25, 20. Sorrow. Psalm 141. Uh, Psalm 14, verse 1. Psalm 102, verse 4. Okay? Proverbs 23, 7. Fear. Proverbs 23 7 is anger. Fear. Jeremiah 32 40. All these are centered in your soul. The body gives you world consciousness of the, of the earth around you. It's the physical part of man. The body is called the house. 2 Corinthians 5 1. Right? It's called the house. The physical part of you that gives you the, the world awareness. Right? It's called the house. Why do you have a house? So you can dwell in it, right? Okay, so God calls your body a house because God wants to dwell in that house. That's why it's called a house. It's called a tabernacle. Why is it called a tabernacle? Because, are you with me here? It's something that moves. You're a pilgrim passing through. The world is not your home. You're a pilgrim that's passing through. So your body's called a tabernacle. And when you die, the tent is taken down and your spirit is released to go to God. Your spirit soul goes to go to God. That's why it's called a tabernacle. It's something that is uh, moving. Okay? It's also called, and by the way, Corinthians uh, 5 1, the house tabernacle, Corinthians 5 1 through 4. It's also called the temple, 1 Corinthians 3 16, 6 19 through 20. The, the temple, the Naos, is the Holy of Holies. Your body is a naos of God. It is the holy of holies. So the spirit of God dwells inside of you. And the reason why your body is called a temple is so that you'll understand the importance of keeping it holy, keeping it pure, and keeping it clean. Because as the temple, God dwells in that body. As a tabernacle, a temple, you know, you set up it's picture of our temporary life here and we be taken down and we go to the Lord. But as a temple, it has to be with God dwelling in us. So we have to keep it holy, pure, and clean. Okay? And I gave you all those scriptures. And also the Bible's likened to a sheep, Daniel 7, 14. The spirit is placed like a sword in this body. Because the body's called a sheep. 
It is called Earthly. It's BB 1547. It has the absolute same ingredients as the book. Okay. Okay. D. Campbell Morgan on the book of Corinthians. I talked about the book of Corinthians. He literally broke it down. Okay. He, and that book tells you what is in the dirt. And then he says the very same ingredients that are in the dirt is what the body is. It came from the earth. God made the body from the ground, but has the same ingredients. Okay? Um, it's also called our vile bodies. Philippians 3.21, our vile bodies. And that simply means, when we say vile, it means humiliation. Our bodies are subject to sickness and disease and death. Our vile bodies. Okay? Humiliation. Um, it's governed by the senses, seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting. See, hear, feel, smell, taste. And it gives you knowledge of the external world. It communicates 